Raising Joyful Children in an Angry World, a podcast dedicated to faithful parents navigating their families through a stormy culture. Welcome back to Raising Joyful Children in an Angry World. I'm your host, Paul Osborne. We're a couple of weeks away from football season, and the preseason rankings are all being released. Hours are going to be spent talking about this. And of course, Nick Saban's famous rant, calling it all rat poison, will be quoted by all the pontificators until this season begins, and probably beyond that. But have you ever thought about ranking of virtues? In 2018, one of my favorite podcasters and authors, Jonathan Eldridge, of Wild at Heart, kind of took a shot at it, well, sort of. In February of 2018, Eldridge's podcast, Wild at Heart, released an episode entitled, Five Agreements That Are Killing Millennials. And he suggested that they had a number one agreement was that they were making doubt a top-ranked virtue. The podcast helps explain how culture and education to this particular generation contributed to this, and it's really worth a listen if you're in that millennial generation. I want to say that doubt being seen as a virtue has been around for a very, very long time. I mean, you go back to one of those old French philosophers again, René Descartes, who famously doubted his own existence until he came up with the famous words, I think, therefore I am. In other words, because he recognized he could think, then that verified his actual existence. And he gave us foundational doubt, critical thinking, all sorts of virtues out of doubt. But today I want to dive into another parable regarding the kingdom of heaven and let Martin Luther unpack it a bit for us to demonstrate that doubt in regards to the kingdom of heaven isn't really ranked as number one. In fact, it's probably better understood as rat poison. Now let's read a little bit of this in the King James because there's something about the King James regarding the kingdom of heaven, I think just fits a little better. I want to dive into a parable in Matthew 22. In verse 2, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son. And he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden. Bidden means that you're requested to come to the wedding. An old formal way of inviting people to a wedding. But they would not come. And again, he sent forth other servants saying, Tell them which are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings, and all the things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise, and the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them or killed them. Well, the parable goes on. When the king heard of this, he sent out his army. He burned down those that, that killed his servants, and he slew them. And then he sent out his servants into the highways and the byways, and he found as many as he could, both good and bad, and the wedding was furnished with guests. The king would have his way. And at the end of this, we see a person that's come in without a wedding garment, which is to come in without the righteousness of Christ as, as his gift to us. and when the king sees him, he says, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. But the, but the thing I want to get to, and what Luther points out so interestingly, is in verse 5. And this is something that uh, I hadn't really seen before. 
a lot of folks, uh, just about everybody explains that the king is God the Father, the son is Jesus, and the wedding feast is his bride with his bridegroom, us, the church. But in verse 5, it says, but they made light of it. Sometimes it's translated, they neglected it. In other words, they did not take it seriously. And so one to his farm, another to his merchandise, and the rest laid hold of the servants. And Luther says, these are the three barriers that prevent us from coming to the marriage feast. The first, or the farm, signifies our honor. And it's a great hindrance that we do not think of Christ and believe in him. We fear we must suffer shame and become dishonored, and we do not believe that God can protect us from the shame and preserve our honor. See, when the world makes light, does not take this seriously, the, the faith in Christianity, there's a tendency in us, in our sinful nature, to say, well, gee, if they're making light of and not taking that seriously, and I accept the invitation to that, to that feast, I also will be not taken seriously. In this particular situation, these folks are taking the wrong thing seriously. They're ignoring the invitation, and they're worried about their sel themselves, their honor, and what people are going to say about it. It's a problem of taking seriously the world and not taking seriously God, when it should be the exact opposite. Take God seriously, take the world and even yourself lightly. Well, then the second group, Luther says, the, the merchandise. He said they go to their spheres of business, and they and what falls into their hearts is these worldly affairs and avarice, which is a, a word that simply means excessive greed. And when they should cleave to the word, no, they cleave to the things that perish, and they, they doubt that God can sustain them. Luther says the third class are the worst. They are the high and wise and prudent, exalted spirits, and they not only despise, but martyr and destroy the servants in order to retain their own honor and praise in an order for them to be something. This parable is what prevents us from coming to the wedding feast. Now, I think first and foremost, we have to, we have to differentiate between what is a curiosity and what is doubt, and then even doubt, like in the case of Thomas, which is really based in his grief, or we see kind of a doubtfulness sometimes in the psalm when there is great sorrow and God's patience in that. But that's a different story than what we're dealing with here. Here we're talking about a distrust of God and a trust in self and placing self above. So how are we going to help our kids to, to understand these concepts? So I think first and foremost, we have to inform our children that as Christians, we should expect the world to poke fun at us. We should expect some of this. I mean, from Saturday Night Lives, back in the day, the church lady, to the open mocking that comes from people like Bill Maher and all sorts of folks in science, we should prepare our kids to expect it. Secondly, I think it's important that we walk through a process in our home and certainly in our church in which we encourage having honor restored through confession, repentance, and forgiveness. See, we as parents can extend the absolution of sins to our kids in our home, and we can restore whatever honor they've lost by encouraging this process of confession 
and forgiveness and restoration. It really should be a practice in our home. And again, I go back to once again, the Lord's Prayer teaches this. One of the things that contemporary, and I, I called it consumeristic Christianity, concerns me in some circles is that we have stripped the mystery and the honor of trusting sacraments in many of these circles. We've removed the practice in apostolic traditions of the confession of sin that is part of worship and having our pastor or priest extend the forgiveness of Christ to us in the service. And some have even removed the Lord's Prayer. And I think in doing this, it, it surrenders the hubris protection. It allows our pride to go unchecked. And these gifts that are in a more traditional worship service that isn't so consumeristic, I believe offers us protection and guards us against our hubris and pride. And then I want to say we have to weave gratitude into our blessings. In other words, we've got to understand that when we have a great vacation, when we get a new car, when something wonderful happens to us financially, when mom or dad gets a promotion, we have to make sure that we're weaving a, a message of gratitude and of humility and thanking God for those gifts. And then lastly, I think I want to talk a little bit about trying to minimize as much as possible these modern remnants. There is a, there's a remnant in this society that sees their position of power at risk as the gospel is advanced. And so there is an attack on the church to keep these power seats at the table. And we're seeing attacks on family, the institution of the church, and going after children down to doubt their identity, who they are, where they belong, all of this is being under attacked. And we can't be fooled by the, the cleverness of this message, the deceitfulness of us that St. Ignatius often warned us. They're not showing us these things in their naked deformity, as he would say, but we're seeing them wrapped up in, in beautiful clothing so they almost look better than the truth itself. And this attack on doubting their gender, to, to question everything in, about themselves, these are people with debased minds that are doing the work of the devil, and we have to be on guard regarding it. Well, let me close with a more pleasant story, perhaps, uh, this week that I think demonstrates trust versus doubt. And so I, my wife and I were down at the Bayou RV Resort in Port A, Texas. It's a community on, on the Gulf Shore down in Texas. And when you drive into the resort, there's like 20 signs that say five mile per hour. And when you go in to check in, they say, now keep in mind, we're serious about five miles per hour. Well, early in the week, we're driving out of the park to go to dinner. And there's a young family, mom and dad walking. They have a son about three and a daughter, maybe four or five on a bike with training wheels. Oh, easily I stop, but they don't want me to stop. They want the little girl to stop and insist that I drive past because they're trying to teach her about being cautious around cars. And of course, I'm going to oblige those parents. They're, they're doing their thing. They're in charge. And then a few days later, it's about 7.30 in the morning. I'm sitting outside having a coffee and there goes the mom. And she's got a dog 
in one hand on a leash. Her other hand is extended behind her three-year-old boy who's on a scooter. And in front of both of them is their daughter riding her bike, and they're jogging joyfully along, going through the park. And I suspect in a few days, that mom and dad in that park saw that, wow, these people are actually paying attention to this constraint. And she came to a position of trust. While the Bayou RV Resort is certainly not the kingdom of heaven, but it was a picture, in my view, of seeing trust and then trust actually delivering freedom to experience joy. Trusting the promises of God, having the right prioritization of virtues, allows us to experience the freedom that, allow, that, that, that generates and produces joy in our family. Freedom to be forgiven, freedom to have our honor restored, and freedom to live joyfully in the kingdom. The ultimate battle for the heart and soul is a fight for identity. Our King invites our kids to know who they are, what to believe, and where they belong. Until next time, let's remember the words, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.